Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan James, one of the elders here, and it's uh, exciting for me this morning to be able to continue our Advent series. And I want to thank Fonnie and Michelle for, uh, for reading our passages uh, this morning out of Isaiah and out of, of Luke. I'm not going to repeat those, but if you notice uh, that word peace, today our, our theme of Advent that we're covering today is peace. And uh, that word was used three times in those passages. Uh, when we look in, in Isaiah, it was used in referencing the name of this child that was, who to come in referring to him as Prince of Peace. And then later on in that passages, passage, it says that of his government, peace, there will be no end. And then as we flip forward to the passage in Luke, just as we just sang, the angels, the multitude of angels saying, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this word peace, uh, it's used in multiple different ways. Even throughout the Bible, it's often used in greetings. It's often used in, in reference to just a calmness and a, a delightfulness of life. If you, we, we use it in our day, often in the context of, of the absence of war. We like to have peace. We don't like war. That is something that we commonly uh, use that term for. And so at Christmas time, this, this term shows up on our walls in decorations. If you drive into a, a small town, you might drive over something that they've got their streets decorated with where it might say, peace on earth. And that might be the only thing it says uh, in a Christmas decoration context. And so what is this term and why, why around Christmas time? And so a couple of things that I hope we can have as objectives of this morning is, is one, just re being reminded ourselves of what this biblical meaning of a true Christian peace is and being able to have that enhance our, our worship and our, our lives as we function this Christmas season. And then two, to me, it is a great opportunity throughout Christmas uh, to, to share with others and to start up conversations. When you think about the idea of sharing our faith or this um, concept of apologetics, of defending our faith, this idea of peace is so prevalent <clears throat> that <clears throat> for, for anyone, you can, you can engage them at Christmas time. If you're just sitting next to a family member or a friend or maybe at a Christmas party, uh, you see one of these decoration pieces that say peace, and just strike up a conversation and say, well, what does peace have to do with Christmas? Why is that on a Christmas decoration versus any other time of the year? I mean, you could, you could put up a, you know, peace in a lot of ways would have meaning for people or just kind of a neutral meaning throughout the course of the year. Why Christmas? So uh, I hope by the end of this morning, it might, you might have some tools and some conversation and some truth nuggets to be able to uh, have those conversations this Christmas and allow you to feel equipped and, and maybe uh, engage some people that you've been praying for and uh, to have the opportunity to share truth with them. In fact, just the other night, we were at my work Christmas party 
and I had been curious. My, I have a, a co-worker, and uh, he's from a different country, and I had been talking to him about Christmas the past week or so, um, just, a, just in a general conversation when we were traveling together, and we were meeting his wife for the first time, and, and she was telling me, uh, she was very talkative and an engaging personality, so I was asking her if, if they celebrate Christmas. Um, they're from a different culture, and, and she sort of looked at me with a little bit of a blank stare and said, well, we don't really celebrate it, but I love it with this brightness in her eyes. And um, it was really loud, and so it wasn't a place that I could really engage that conversation further with the two of them, but you could tell just in that response that they're likely not saved, but in being here um, in the midst of the, the Western culture where Christmas is the thing, and like that night was the, the party was for, at our, at our corporate holiday party, it was for the holiday, of course, but the, the Christmas is the season. And the, the brightness in her eyes and the excitement of how she just enjoys the experience told me that, you know, in another conversation at a future time, that's an inroad to, to, to take this to a significant spiritual conversation. So anyway, um, that's, that's where I want to go this morning. Um, but I did want to share a quick story um, before, we, before we head that direction. So in the last year, many of you know that, um, that my wife, Steph, has um, have started a, a financial advising um, certification, and she's got those certifications. So, so she's doing that, and we, she's got all the certifications, but many times I go along mostly as eye candy. And so I'm there a lot uh, when she, she is, you know, sharing with, with clients. And, and so we do function together because we, we both have passion in this area and we both have knowledge in this area. So we're, we're doing this together uh, in, a, in a lot of senses. And so, and so that means we're basically having a small group meeting with, with clients. That's really what we're having. And so for any of you that have been in small group when we've been leading, you know, once in a while we have different visions for the way a meeting should go. And just once in a while. And in life group generally that comes out right there in front of, in front of the family <laughs> in, in most cases. Now, in, these, in the setting of a financial planning business, you know, I think we do our best to sort of keep that on the inside if there's ever a discrepancy of how we view this meeting going. And so uh, in, this, in this particular meeting, it was a few weeks ago, it was a person uh, we, we don't know well, but uh, we've, we've interacted with them a couple of times. And uh, we were each sitting there, and as the meeting progressed, I gradually had this, this, uh, this little discontentness about the path that, that mainly Steph was leading this meeting on. And so, but I dutifully, with my candiness, sat there and, and did not, I didn't show my cards at all. We, we went through the process of the meeting. It was, it was fine, accomplished what we need to accomplish, and we headed out to the car. So then we, we headed out to the car, and we got to the car, you know, I was having this, you know, just thoughts of, of how this meeting had gone. Hadn't changed a lot in my mind. Um, still thinking that it hadn't gone quite the way I probably would have run it had I been the point person in the situation. And so we got in the car and I told her. <laughs> and frankly, she didn't agree. 
<laughs> so, so there we sat. I had shared my thoughts about how I felt like the meeting could have gone, and she sort of was shooting right back of, okay, no. <laughs> so there, there we were. And enter in, and I should mention that I probably wasn't the most delicate in my sharing of it. So enter in discord, a little bit of enmity, probably stopped short of hostility, but nonetheless, we were there. We were there. And so um, how did I know that? Well, you know, maybe the door was getting closed a little bit stronger than maybe would have needed to get closed. Maybe there was a little, when we got home, maybe there's a little bit of extra time in the bathroom that then would have necessarily been needed. It was clear. And so, yeah, like I said, enter in this discord. Um, and, th- and there we were. And so I... Does anybody know where I'm at from, a, uh, from a, either a, a marriage standpoint, friendship standpoint, you know, kid, um, parent standpoint, maybe parent, young adult standpoint, parent or adult aging? Anybody with me on entering in discord in some of these situations regardless of what the topic is? Yeah, yeah, we feel it, don't we? And, and so the question is, do these situations resolve themselves? If, if I just, uh, you know, we've, we've hashed this out since. Um, but if we do, wouldn't have had the conversation, would it be over yet? No. The, there's, there's action that has to take place in order for this, this relational discord to become resolved got to go through the, the conversation, the hashing it out, the, the, the apology for perhaps the way that that was communicated, the offering of grace for, for just simply, you know, enduring whatever was, was given, the, the common sort of forgiveness. And then also, the, you know, I think in this case anyway, we came to discuss how it was that we were in disagreement and the why. And I think we came to a place of, well, this is why. We had different visions for what the, where the meeting was supposed to head. We didn't have a, a common view. And so we resolved that too. Um, and now going forward, depending on the type of meeting that we'll be in, we'll be on be- a better page. But it, so we ended up in a better place, but it wasn't easy to get there, and it didn't just happen. There was action that had to be taken place. And so it's, uh, and, and it, yeah, the, the action isn't always easy. I mean, there, it would be easier not to in most cases and just sweep it under the rug. But you really have to go through that process with some tension, perhaps some tears, um, and then ultimately before you get to resolution, which, um, which in many cases can be uh, very beneficial to the, to the relationship in, in many different ways. Um, with, um, with, with our interaction with God, though, it's, it's similar, but it's, it's a little bit different uh, because... In our human relationships, in some ways, it needs to have been good before you know it's bad. If, if you didn't have a relationship with somebody, you really wouldn't know if you had 
if you had hurt the relationship. You wouldn't know if there was discord in most cases because you wouldn't have spent enough time with the person or you wouldn't have the, the, the finger on the pulse of how that relationship is working. So, yeah, you, you need to have had it be good before it was bad. <clears throat> with God and us, the relationship between, between us and God, um, it is different. And, and Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 2. And so I want to go there and kind of set the stage for today as we, as we talk about um, this idea of peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so when we come to the observation and the truth about the relationship between us and God, the starting point is brokenness. As, as difficult as it is to, to grasp, as newborn infants, we've got this, this self-centered bent away from God. We, we own and have this sinful nature that we're born with. It's, it's, it's a difficult concept to grasp when you see a tiny baby. Uh, the, the smaller they are, the more difficult it is to grasp because they're just sitting there, this, this pure little person. And with the, the softness of the hair, the, the smell, all of it, the good smell, I'm talking about the baby smell, not, not the other end, but just this, this softness, the skin is so new, and there's no blemishes, and you can't imagine, but it's, it's how that we're born, with this bent away from God. And so, unlike our, our interpersonal relationships between the, the people here that we live with, where we needed to have it be good before it was bad, with God, we, we, we start with a sinful discord, a hostility between us and him. So it was bad, and it will be bad, unless there's some intervention. It was bad, and it will be bad, unless there's some intervention. And so the, and the, the bad is extremely bad. It's extremely bad. It is the um, you know, eternal discord with him. So before we go on, I want you to, to grasp the big idea for today. You might want to write it down. It's that Christian peace, this term that, that's in the passage from Isaiah, that's in the passage from Luke that shares what the angels were, were singing there with the shepherds, uh, back at, that, at Jesus' birth, the big idea is that Christian peace is not simply the absence of generic conflict, but the resolution of a hostility between God and man. Christian peace is not simply the absence of generic conflict, but the resolution of hostility between God 
and man. So I mentioned that with, with God, it starts bad and, and continues bad. And what I mean by that is that the current status that we start in is that we are dead in trespasses and sin, just like Ephesians chapter 2 says. The reality is, is that every person in this room, every person on earth, Maybe, maybe won't fully understand it, probably don't fully understand it, and it is difficult truth to share, is that they will die and have the rightful destination of hell. Hell is a place where people go to rightfully pay the price for their sin. And I won't have you say it this morning, but the reality is, is that we can all confidently say that our rightful destination is hell. So now you're all ready for, for lunch after church today with whoever you're, uh, you're going with. You say, well, how is the Advent service today? And be like, Merry Christmas, my rightful destination is hell. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And so, but it's, it's very, very true. And without, and so that's our starting point. That's our starting point without intervention, without the entering in of this Christian peace. So what is this peace? And so, so now we're, gonna, we're sort of going to revert uh, back to the, the context of the, the prophecy of Isaiah and talk a little bit about that. And that much of the Bible is written by people um, who, who found that there was a lot of conflict and struggle in their lives. Especially go back to the Old Testament and in the time of Isaiah and back even, even further that you've got the people of God went through these cycles of being under siege of people and being put into exile in foreign countries and being enslaved by powerful empires. And so... As you look at the, at the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9 there, the, the promise that he wrote was that there would be a common ruler who would usher in a new government. So they're, they're people just like us. You know, sometimes we, we, when, we, when we go backwards, what some... 2,700 years, you know, we maybe think that somehow magically people weren't people, but they were, and they were underneath a government system of some sort, just like we're underneath a government system of some sort, and so we sort of, all we can do is kind of imagine if someone told us that we were going to encounter a new ruler with an ongoing peace that was never ending, how would we think about that? Don't you think we would think about it sort of like having a president that we agree with or a Congress that has the people and the ratios that, that we would think would be preferable? Because that's how, that's how we conceptualize the, the governing of our culture, at least here, here in the United States. And so... If you take yourself back there, how would they view it? Well, they're used to, at that point in time, going through a series of, of kings and rulers and, and 
that was their resolution to the various types of discord that was happening. So they would have been looking for a king. And so when I, when I fast forward to us, it makes myself evaluate, you know, where am I looking for my peace? I mean, I have a desire for things in our culture to line up with what I enjoy, what's preferable for me, what line up with my, my values, what lines up with, with what Scripture teaches in many ways. And I can find myself perhaps leaning a little bit too heavily on, on wanting things to line up how I like them, even if they're good things. I mean, there, there are aspects of this world that are horrendous that are happening right now. I think about, I think about human trafficking that's going on. Uh, and, and coming right into our country and people that are, are treated as slaves or are slaves. Um, I think about the way women are treated around the world, and it's, it's heart-wrenching to imagine you know, my girls or the, the girls that are friends and family of ours uh, you know, being treated like that. You think about wars happening around the world that I don't fully understand. I don't know why, but I know you've got people that are enduring this Christmas season essentially under siege by, by people that they don't know in countries they aren't aligned with. I, I think about, um, you know, the idea, the stories that are coming out of China this week where, where, where folks are living in apartment buildings where they've been, they've been locked into apartment buildings. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling what is going on in various parts of our world. And so the reality is, is that if if over the next eight or 16 years or whatever, our presidency is filled with somebody I totally agree with, is that going to fix these things that are happening in, in these multiple places around the world? No. Is it going to make my life a little bit easier and give, give me some pleasure or perhaps increase you know, a, a retirement program or, or whatever? Maybe. Maybe not, but maybe. Is it going to make me feel good that our country is implementing some values that are lined up with Scripture slightly more than, than the rest of the world? Yeah, that'd be great. But there's, there's, you know, whatever, 7 billion minus 350 million people that aren't underneath that. And so this question of, of peace, it's broader than the United States. It's a human nature. It is a human problem. It's a sin problem. We start not good with God. With humans, with interactions with, between us together, we have to know what's good before we know it's bad. With God, we start as bad. And there has to be an intervention before it be, can become good, before we can have peace with God. And so, fast forward 700 years from the time of Isaiah. And we move into that night when the shepherds were out watching their sheep. These ragtag bunch of guys that had probably been out there for weeks at a time, and they had this amazing announcement take place that a Savior is born. And they're curious about it. They're going to go look at it. But where I want to focus on this morning is that uh, is, is Luke chapter 2, verse 14, is what the angels, that multitude of angels, how they respond 
in that situation and the, the aspects that they decide to sing and repeat over and over in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what is this peace and who is it for? There's, there's really only one translation, the King's James, King James Version, that uses the, the phrase, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And that's the one that... that people seem to latch on to, especially for the Christmas decorations and Christmas cards and stuff, because I think it's especially, you know, able to be pulled out of that context and, you know, put in, you know, some sort of, an, of a, a graphic software program and really make some nice, feel-good, kind of um, politically correct Christmas cards and decorations. And, but in almost every other translation of the Bible, it comes out, like I just read, of on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So who is God pleased with? Remember our, our previous conversation, we start with God, we start bad and it continues bad unless there's some intervention in the middle. So at the starting point... We, we don't have this peace. Our starting point is this hostility with God. And so, on earth, peace with those whom, with those whom he is well pleased. With whom is God well pleased? Those who have received Christ as their Savior. Otherwise, we stand in this, in this path, like Ephesians chapter 2 said, this, this son's of disobedience, and we stand in the path of God's wrath in, in other cases. So this peace of God, it's certainly not the absence of war only. And certainly, I think we all agree that it's not the absence of conflict. We can barely get home from church without that happening. And, and certainly by you know, 10 or 10.30 on Monday morning, we're all experiencing it once again. And the other thing that it's not it's not just this, this uh, emotional feeling of being chill. It's, it's, it's not that. We can use those terms, and we all know what each other mean by that, but it is so much beyond that. Uh, because remember, the, keep, keeping with the big idea, is that Christian peace is not simply the absence of generic conflict, whatever that looks like, but the resolution of hostility between God and man. So let's dig in a little further as to what this peace is. And to do that, we're headed back to Ephesians 2. As I always say, that it's, a sermon's really not a sermon until you head back to Ephesians 2. Um, we're going to start in, uh, in verse 13 there to where Paul really hammers home what this Christian peace is. And to do that, he uses the, the setting of reminding the Ephesians that that was, that was a Gentile group. And so you've got Jews and Gentiles, Jews that have been God's chosen people since 
um, you know, Abraham's time, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 years prior to that. So they at least had a concept of God. And then you have the Gentiles, which were outside of that fold that may or may not really have understood much at all about God. And so Paul, in this context, is reminding the Ephesians that um, you know, they, were, they were Gentiles, and now something has changed. And even though in truth, it really has changed for both parties, the Jews and the Gentiles. But never forgetting the context that our starting point is hostility with God. It will continue on unless there is some intervention. So read with me in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in unity through the cross, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we're going to pause there for a second. So you've got a couple things going on there. He, Paul is talking about the, the reconciling of the differences between Jews and Gentiles uh, through the blood of Christ. In that first verse... And he, he states just in such a succinct truth of, for he himself is our peace. Such a great reflection of this, this Christian peace. Or you might call it, especially given the setting that we're in over the course of the next few weeks, a Christmas peace. That, that the Jews and the Gentiles are, are reconciled because now they're under one head. And then as we move forward in that passage, you know, in those situations, the Jews were paying a lot of attention about the law and the Gentiles not so much. And so Paul points out in specifics that the, the law and the commandments are, are, are abolished in this sense. And it's his one uh, in himself. There's one new man between these two people in place of the two so that they're making peace. But then in verse 16, it goes broader than that. And Paul says and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love that phrase, killing the hostility, because it broadens it just from, because you could, you know, perhaps, or if you're a, a Gentile in that setting, you could perhaps misunderstand that he's just talking about the, the interpersonal relationships between Jews and Gentiles in that situation. But in that next phrase where he says, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, it's unmistakable that this broadens the meaning out to where the sin of both parties is being come together and covered by the blood of Jesus at the cross, so that the hostility between God and man, this we start bad, we'll end bad without, inter without some intervention, that the cross is what kills the hostility between God and man. 
The cross is what kills that hostility. He goes on in verse 17, talking about Jesus now. And he came and preached to you who were far off, which is the Gentiles, and to those in peace. He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, which is the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So he sort of just drives this point home. That Jesus came to speak to those that really didn't know at all about this God thing or this Jesus thing. And he came to speak to the Jews who thought they knew all about this God thing. And that together they now have access. This, this intervention that changed the course of the, certainly their history in that moment. Because again, they were dead in their transgressions and sin. Every one of them, regardless of what religion they aligned with or what origin of heritage they had, they were dead in their transgressions. Their rightful outcome and rightful destination was hell, as is all of ours. Merry Christmas, but for the grace of God. And so we, uh, we also look in um, Romans chapter 5. Paul makes this even uh, additional, additionally clear. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's like, all right. So I, I get that I want to go to heaven. And I get that we, we start out dead in our transgressions. And if without the intervention of Christ, we remain dead in our transgressions. And so praise God for his work at the cross to cover our sins. But rejoice in our suffering? Rejoice when we're in, in sickness. Rejoice when our, our culture is, um, you know, despicable in a lot of different ways. Rejoice when I have desires that I view as despicable in a lot of different ways. Rejoice when I've, I'm sick. Rejoice when I've got family members that are sick. Rejoice when there's tragedies that happen. What is going on there? And that is where we come back to this, this picture of peace. This picture of peace. And, and how is it that that we can move forth and live in this world with, with kind of craziness around us. There's a, uh, a, a quote that, um, was, that comes out of a, a Bible dictionary that I was using, and I thought it, it captured, um, captured this idea pretty well. And, and, it's, and it was uh, 
It says this. Peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of what, whatsoever sort that is. Peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. This peace, we're probably not going to enjoy those items of suffering I just mentioned. They're going to be tough. They're going to be sad. We're not going to understand them all. But we can have this, this tranquility knowing that, that the, the worst will be behind us soon. And our hope is in heaven. Our, our hope is in heaven, and we can trust that, that God is, is teaching us. He's growing us. He is using us even in the midst of experiencing the suffering or watching someone suffer. But when, when Jesus, when Paul says there in, in Romans chapter 5, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We can endure and we need to endure and live life and worship in light of that. That is the truth of Christian peace. Is that our relationship with God started broken. Started in hostility. And we had no answer. Now one thing we can do. It started in hostility, and our rightful destination, the lunchtime declaration, my rightful destination is hell. It's true today. It's true. It was true before we got saved. It's true after we're saved. Our rightful destination is hell. It's only by the grace of God that we have forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. And it is true for the unsaved right now. It's true for the saved. But for the unsaved, there's a critical evaluation, a critical question to ask is, do I have this peace of Christ? And for the unsaved, the answer is no. And for, that, for those people, for that person, their destination right now is hell. It's not only the rightful destination, that's where they're headed. That's where you're headed, and it is heart wrenching, but the peace of God, this Christian peace is available through the blood of Jesus at the cross. So we, our action item going forward today is that we live and we worship in light of this. I love that we just got through the book of John and uh, during life group on one of those later chapters, we watched clips from the Passion of the Christ and watched, the, the clip we watched was when when Jesus was 
um, he, he was already connected to the, the cross uh, board, or whatever that cross board is called, and they were actually connecting the cross board to the vertical post. And so in doing that, they had to they had to like maneuver him around, so they had to do some work on the front and, and put the nails in on the front. So that with that, he was lying flat on the ground. And then in order to, to beat the nail sideways so the nail wouldn't come out under the stress of, of his weight, in this depiction of it anyway, they flipped him over and dumped him onto the ground face first so they could work on the back of the cross. And there he is, of course, having been beaten and bloodied, and they're just flipping him over like he's a two-by-four connected to another board. And he took that for us at the cross. That we, that's the intervention that he took for us at the cross. That is the message the angels had for the shepherds that night at Christmas. That is the peace we see on a small town Christmas decoration that probably nobody that had anything to do with it had any idea what they were talking about. That is the peace on earth, goodwill to men that we maybe hear mentioned on the news uh, in a in a passive-aggressive or tongue-in-cheek way when they've got a screen full of war-torn country on Christmas Eve. The truth of the matter is that it's the peace that, that we obtain only through the blood of Jesus that is the Christian peace, the Christmas peace that gives us opportunity to share and launch off from some of these Christmas decorations or Christmas movies that are talking about Christmas peace. It is the message of the gospel. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again to cover our sin, to forgive our sin. And praise God, he is returning again to take us home so that we can all go to a place that we do not deserve if we have received that Christian peace. Heaven is not our rightful destination. It is a gift of grace. And we ought to live in worship and of appreciation and in awe of the fact that a person in Jesus cared and loved us enough to offer that for us. So one last note. Again, from Ephesians chapter 2, at the, at the very end of that passage, verses starting in verse 19, says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The beauty of this is that the rightful place for people who have received the peace of God is the church. We are the church. We get to expound on these truths. We get to remind all of us together that 
peace is not simply this absence of generic conflict, but it is the resolution of hostility between God and man. We get to remind all of us together that there's opportunities at Christmas. It's not just a celebration with families or work parties. There is opportunity to launch off and start significant conversations for people that we are praying about. We are the, because on my own, I'm probably not going to do it. But boy, if the people reminded me and said, hey, this is the goal for Christmas. We're with our family, have one conversation that takes a, an ornament off the tree that says peace on earth and be like, hey, what's, what's going on there? Why, why is that a Christmas thing? Sounds like a good thing for Easter and a good thing for Fourth of July, doesn't it? Why is it a Christmas thing? What an opportunity. And so here we go right now. Over the course of the next four weeks, do it once. Have a launching point from something that's hanging on the wall or on a tree or on a card, gift wrap, whatever. Do it once. Launch that off and share simple truth about, yeah, peace is a lot more than no war. This peace came through Jesus and the forgiveness that we have through his blood. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for today. We are grateful for the truth of this Christmas season. We're grateful for the truth of Christmas peace. That if we receive Christ, we stand here forgiven. We stand here not headed to the place that is our rightful destination. And it is only because of your intervention at the cross. And we are in awe of your grace that we might have opportunity to believe in this precious truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.